The other thing I wanted to mention before we really got started in our lesson this morning is, in two weeks we're going to begin a new study on Sunday mornings. And that study is going to be out of the little letter of First John. Now, Ronald came to me probably a year ago, maybe even longer, I don't know. And he just said to me, you know, you've never preached out of First John. I said, really? He said, well, you know, you've preached individual kind of lessons out of First John, but you've never preached through it like you do, like you have a lot of other books. I said, okay. And so I've been reading and, and thinking and praying and meditating and putting some lessons together. And so we'll begin that in two weeks. Uh, next week is the first Sunday. That's Mark's Sunday to preach. And I didn't want to start and then take a week off. So anyway, we're going to begin next Sunday. And you may think, what does that little book have anything to do with me? What, what does it have to do with me? Well, three times in the book of first John, Paul, Paul, Paul wrote everything, even first John. No, he didn't. Three times in the book of 1 John, the little letter, John writes, I write to you because. Three times. And one of the times he says, I write to you that your joy may be complete. Wow. You need a little joy in your life? Well, John's going to tell us how to have a little joy in our life. Secondly, he comes along and he says, I write you these things so that you won't sin. Have a problem with sin in your life? Have a problem with holiness in your life, being right with God? John's going to help us with that. And then at the end of the book, end of the letter, he writes, I write these things to you so that you may know that you are right with God, that you're saved. Have you ever, I said we weren't going to do First John this morning, didn't I? Have you ever been absolutely sure about something? I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And then somebody throws a little something in there. Wait a minute. No, I'm, 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 I'm sure. I'm absolutely sure. Well, what about? No, no, no. And before you know it, even though you know... A little doubt kind of creeps up. Ever have any doubts about your relationship with God? John says, I write to you that you may know. You may be assured. Because you see, Satan is the one weaseling his way into our lives. Making us wonder and question. And John says, no, 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 no. It's not like that. I remember Norman saying a lot of times that, you know, somebody may ask you the question, are you saved? And your answer may be, I hope so. That ought not to be our answer. As Christians, that should never be our answer. The way we use hope. Biblically, yeah. But biblical hope is an assurance. It's an absolute. And that's what God wants for us. So in two weeks... I won't have to do the introduction, right? In two weeks, we will begin the little letter of 1 John. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, that really confusing little section that is also very meaningful. You remember, you know what I'm talking about? 
He says, you know what? That that I wish I do not do, I do. And that that I wish I don't do, I do. And the very thing that I say I'm not going to do is the very thing that I do. And, and he goes on through all this stuff. And wow, you know, by the time you get through reading it, your head's just a blur because you begin to wonder, what, what's he talking about? And then he sums it up with this, oh, wretched man that I am. But that really hits home, doesn't it? Maybe not to you. The very thing I promised myself, I swore to God that I would not do, I did it. And the very thing that I said I would do, I can, you know, said I was going to do, I convinced myself I was going to do, I didn't do it. And I think if we read the New Testament, no single person personifies that characteristic that Paul wrote about than Peter. You know, I love Peter because I can relate to Peter. One minute Peter was walking on the water and the next he was sinking. One minute he was being praised by Jesus for answering the question, who do men say that I am? And the next minute Jesus is calling him Satan. And say, get behind me. One one minute he is refusing to let Jesus wash his feet. And the next minute he's begging Jesus to give him a bath. And it just seems to go on like that in Peter's life. And that brings us to the garden and the courtyard. Jesus had been with his disciples. He'd instituted the Lord's Supper. And then he made some predictions. And he said, maybe he's going to betray me. And then he said, Peter, before the rooster crows this morning, you're going to deny me three times. And you remember what Peter said. It will not happen. I will die for you. I would never, ever deny you. And Jesus just, you can just kind of, kind of like you do with your children sometimes when they tell you something, okay. And so then we find ourselves in the garden. Jesus has gone up, he prayed. Judas and the soldiers show up. And then Peter, in usual Peter fashion, right? The soldiers come and what does Peter do? He draws his sword and he chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. Now, our regular members, you've heard my take on this a bazillion times. Peter was not an ear chopper. If you think about it, just considering that Peter was probably right handed, which means his sword would have been on his left hip. And if the servant of the high priest was facing him, this would have been his left ear, right? I think Peter went, drew and was head hunting. And the servant just got lucky and ducked. And all Peter got was an ear. And of course, Jesus put it back on. Now, if the story ended there, how impressed would we be with Peter? Peter made a vow. Peter made a promise. Peter was committed that he would die for Jesus. And when push came to shove, when rubber met the road, all those things, 
Peter put his money where his mouth was. He took out that sword and he was going to fight to the death. But the story doesn't end there. If you want to follow along in Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them and a servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. And about an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept Bitterly. So we kind of have to ask ourselves the question. What happened between the garden and the courtyard? I mean, in the garden, Peter was sword swinging, you know, swashbuckling, ready to go down with a fight. And in the the courtyard, a little servant girl... And a couple other people bring him to his knees, spiritually speaking. And the key is found in that verse 54, I think, where it says, Peter followed at a distance. Many times we find ourselves in situations like Peter, doing the very thing that we swore we would never do or not doing the things that we promised we would. Many times it feels like there is distance between us and God, and we wonder why. And so this morning I wanted to use Peter's following Jesus at a distance as a lesson for us. And so the first question we ask is, what creates difference? Distance. What creates distance? Well, with Peter, it's easy. He just lagged behind, right? You know, the, the, the guards came and they arrested Jesus and, and they take him off. And it says that the other nine, really, because Judas was off doing one thing, John kind of stayed with Jesus. But the others, it said, were scattered like sheep without a shepherd. But Peter's following. But he's following at a distance. Slinking about. Trying to be undercover, covert, hoping that nobody would see. Now, for us, it's probably not going to be anything physical. You know, we're not going to, you know, just, well, could turn into something physical. But for us, it's a little more spiritual. The first thing that causes distance between us and God is sin and disobedience. Go back to the garden. Adam and Eve, remember that? You read that and you kind of get the idea. As I read that creation account, I kind of get the idea that uh, it was almost as if God in the evenings came and just strolled in the garden with Adam and Eve. That's what the relationship was like. 
And then all of a sudden, Adam and Eve sin. And for the first time, they're afraid. For the first time, they're ashamed. For the first time, they don't want to be close to God. They hide from Him. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, asks the question, Is the arm of the Lord so short that He can't help? Is His ear so dull that He can't hear? People are kind of griping. God's not listening to me. God's not doing anything for me. And Isaiah said, no, no, no. Your sins and iniquities have separated you from God. From the very beginning, sin separates us from God. And if we continue to live in sin, if we don't take advantage of God's solution for sin, or or even after so we decide that we're still going to live the lives we want to live, and we're going to sin and be disobedient to God, there is going to be distance between us and God. We cannot feel close if we are living our lives contrary to Him. God does not create the distance. We do. With our sin. Sin drives a wedge. The story of the prodigal son. Now that was kind of a literal and spiritual situation. But because the son wanted to go off and live his life the way he wanted to live it. In all kinds of sinful living or whatever. It created distance with the father. Not just that physical distance because he went to a far off country. But there was a relational difference. Because of the way this boy was living his life. So sin causes and creates distance. Secondly, neglect creates distance. The writer of Hebrews reminds us in Hebrew or asks the rhetorical question in Hebrews 2 and verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect King James or ignore NIV such a great salvation? And the answer is you won't. We won't escape. If we neglect or ignore the salvation that God has given us. Have you noticed that relationships take work? Whether it's friendship or whether it's boyfriend, girlfriend, whether it's marriage, whether it's parent, child, whatever. You know, for a relationship to be strong and healthy, it takes work. And the same is true with our relationship with God. You know, Facebook is, is, a, is, is a pretty cool thing. We can keep up with things on, on Facebook and we can be more in touch with people than, than ever before. Uh, but at least in my day, and of course I'm different than a lot of you people. How many of you people, you know, essentially grew up here, went to school here, and you've pretty well lived here all your lives? Okay, you're freaks. Okay, you know, because to me, because of the way I was raised, you know, five elementary schools, two junior highs, two high schools, graduated high school with 800 kids in my class. And I can't name five of them. Literally cannot name five kids that I graduated high school with. But, you know, even even that situation where I'd only been there a year, you know, you go back and you read my yearbook. You know, the annual, the yearbook, and everybody's writing in it, you know. And I think about, you know, how many times it's like, ooh, we're going to stay in touch. Ooh, we'll be close forever. You know, best friend. And now I can't even remember their names. You know, I can read it and I can 
they signed it. I know the name, but I don't have a clue who they are. I don't remember anything about them. Why? Because I was never really invested in that relationship. Or at least after high school, there was no working at keeping that relationship. Many of you who actually did grow up and live here, you're the same way. You thought, oh, I'll be around Dangerfield forever. You'll be around Dangerfield forever. And, you know, we'll be friends forever. And sure enough, they've been around Dangerfield forever. And you've been around Dangerfield forever. But you don't have anything to do with each other. Because we haven't invested anything in that. We've neglected that relationship. But we're going to have a relationship with God. It's going to take some effort. It's going to take some work on our part. We neglect the little things and soon the big things follow. And soon there is a distance and trouble on the horizon. Third thing that can cause or create distance is fear. I think that was Peter's problem. And we ask ourselves the question, wait a minute, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Fear? Peter? Peter's the dude that jumped out of the boat and walked on the water. Peter's the guy that pulled the sword and started cutting off body parts. And now he's afraid. Smart. He knows what our weaknesses are. How many of us are kind of like Peter? If Satan comes right at us. Well, come on, bring it on. I will knock you out, Satan. But slip in a little kind of sideways back door, not expecting it, don't realize what's going on. And then he's got us. It could be fear of ridicule. It could be fear of outside opinions, loss of social status, fear of persecution, fear of challenge or change. It could be a fear of any number of things that then creates distance from God. Fourthly, what creates distance is a feeling of unworthiness. Past failures. Have you ever wondered? It says, and, and we kind of got to get this image that, that I think the way it works, you know, Jesus is, is, is on kind of a balcony at the high priest's house while this is going on. Outside. Peter's down below in the courtyard when all this is happening. Peter denies Jesus the third time. The rooster crows and Jesus turns around and looks at Peter. What kind of look? Do looks make a difference? Yeah. Those of you that are married know it does. Not about what you said, but how you said it or the look you had on your face when you said it. Facial expression can change everything. So what was Jesus' expression? Now, if it had been me, the expression would have been, told you so. Do you think that was Jesus' expression? I don't think so. And this is hypothetical. We don't know. But I don't think so. Jesus wasn't. I think it was more of a Peter, Peter, Peter. 
you know, I tried to warn you. Maybe a look of encouragement, a look of comfort, a look of, I don't know what. But you know what? It didn't work, did it? It didn't help Peter feel one bit better. Because he went out and he wept bitterly. And you know, that brings us to the end of the book of John. Where Peter and Jesus are there on the shore after Jesus had made him breakfast, you know, they're out fishing and, and all of that. You think there may have been a little tension between Jesus and Peter? I think probably so. A little emotional, spiritual distance between Jesus and Peter. I know if I'm Peter, I'm not, I, I can't look him in the eye. I know what he thinks. I know he knows what I did. He saw it. He warned me and I did it anyway. I just can't look him in the eye. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And we can go through all the different words used. I'm not going to do that. You know, Peter says, you know, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, you know, I love you. Tend to the flock. Peter, Peter. Do you love me? Yes. Yes. Feed my sheep. Notice nowhere in there did Jesus say, Peter, I love you. Not once did Jesus say to Peter, I love you. He did something better. He said, Peter, I got work for you to do. Peter, I've got something for you to do. I am going to use you. Feed my sheep. Tend to my lambs. Take care of the flock. Jesus has said, I love you 50 million times. And it would not have meant as much to Peter as when he said, You're still useful to me. I still have something for you. So we want to make sure that we understand that we are not worthy, right? In and of ourselves, we are not worthy. But because of Christ, we are worthy. You remember in Revelation chapter 5, you remember the, the, the... Book was brought with the seals. And the angel says, Who, 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 who is worthy to open the book, undo the seals? And John weeps. He cries and he cries and he cries because no one is worthy. John even recognizes that he is not worthy. To open the book. To open the scroll. But then all of a sudden. There were sounds of singing. There is who is worthy. The Lamb of God. Is worthy. You and I aren't worthy. But because of our relationship with the Lamb of God. 
we are worthy. Is that clock correct? Is it about 11.30? Well, I got another hour and a half. <laughs> so, we're going to quit right there. We had too many, I guess I have too many announcements and, and, you know, ambulance stories at the beginning. So, I don't know. Maybe come back tonight and I'll, we'll talk about how we get rid of the distance. But we want to make sure that we do not have distance between us and God. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you may feel close to God. But in reality, you're not close to God. Because in order to be close to God, you have to become worthy through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and what he did for our lives. But you can tell there's been distance And you want to get closer to God. We invite you to come now as we stand and as we sing. We hope by listening to this lesson, you have found a better understanding of the Bible. And through that better understanding, find a closer relationship with God and His Son, Jesus Christ, our living Savior. If you have any questions or desire more information, please feel free to contact us here at the Dangerfield, Texas Church of Christ. You can find us at dfield.org. That's D-F-I-E-L-D-C-O-C dot O-R-G. Or you can email at dfieldcoc779 at aol dot com. Or you can call us at 903-645-2896. If you are local to the Dangerfield area, We would love an opportunity to meet you and encourage you in person at 818 West W.M. Watson Boulevard, Dangerfield, Texas, 75638. Her meeting times are Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m. for Bible class and 10.30 a.m. for worship service, Sunday evening at 6 p.m. for worship service, and Wednesday evening at 6.30 p.m. for our midweek Bible class. Grace and peace be with you always.